Thing, huh? And I know uh, Papakura is a long way away, but hey, maybe God's stirring you. Maybe there's something in your heart. You're saying, actually, this is what I'm feeling. Uh, who knows? Maybe God is stirring you. Maybe. Uh, to be a part of that. So uh, make sure you have a conversation, have a chat with us, or uh, contact the, the, the Frost. It's going to be an amazing opportunity, uh, and I think the first of many in the years to come. Uh, I think God is just continuing to uh, bless and, and honor uh, just the faithfulness of uh, Pastor Luke and Marilyn and their, their heart for people. And uh, we just continue to see God's blessing uh, as he, yeah, is just opens up doors of opportunity. So uh, this morning we're starting a new series, but before I get into it, um, some, some of you are wondering how the final went. We lost. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> they were better. We were worse. So <laughs> this morning we're going to talk about getting out of sadness. And <laughs> No, we're fine. <laughs> hey, we're starting a brand new series called Cautionary Tales, Learning from Those Who Didn't Finish So Well. There's some people in the Bible that uh, I love the fact that God includes everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, the messy, the, and, and it's all included in there. And it's all, it's all for our learning, for our growth and our development, uh, when we can look at what other people did and we can learn from them. Anyone ever heard the, the statement, it's better to learn from someone else's mistakes rather than your own? But we don't listen to that, do we? <laughs> We prefer to make our own mistakes, and we continue to make our own mistakes rather than learning from others. But what if we could? What if we could actually learn from someone who's gone before us, learn from their mistakes, learn from their examples, and hopefully put that into practice so we don't make those same errors ourselves? That's the heart of this series. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, for me, uh, probably uh, the saving grace for me in, in many situations in my ministry and my leadership uh, was a piece of advice I was given by a man called Keith Fox, who was on the pastoral team down at East Campus, um, the Botany Campus. We were just new in our leadership journey, and, uh, and he said, Mike, as you're starting out, I want to encourage you, anytime you get a difficult email, don't respond in the same manner, an email, because you can't measure the tone, you can't measure what's actually been said, and, and it can be interpreted badly. So 98% of the time, I've, I've made that you know, that decision to, to, to honor that. I've written some emails and then deleted them before I sent them. And uh, I, I remember one time I, I received an email. Uh, with, it was like a bullet point list of all the reasons I'd failed as a pastor so far. So we're only a few years into our journey. Uh, it wasn't here, just in case you're wondering. It was early on. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a tough email. And I, I wrote the response that I wanted to send back. And then I deleted it before I got fired. And I sent another email saying, hey, looks like we'd better catch up. And we did. We caught up face-to-face. It was one of the hardest conversations I've ever had. I had to face some, some realities about my leadership and some of the failings. Uh, we also addressed some of the stuff that wasn't right. And, and we prayed about it. And we, we worked it through as an eldership and with this couple. And to this day, we're great friends. We, we actually made the right decisions in that process of confrontation, if you want to call it. And I didn't get that one wrong. But the other 2%. We don't have time for me to tell any of those stories. Okay, just one, just one. So, so I, was, I was new in a position, and I sent an email. So I, I knew that, you know, the wisdom, the caution was in my brain ticking over, and I went, I don't want to listen to that. And I hovered over, do I send that email? And I sent that email, knowing full well I would get a rise out of that person. 
Sure enough, I got an email back with interest. And it was extra fire and extra heat. And uh, you know what happened? I had to send another email saying, hey, I guess we better catch up then. And I could have saved us a whole lot of pain, myself and this person, by actually doing it right the first time. Come on, let's meet face to face. So I wonder, you know, for, for me, I wish there was a button that could undo emails. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, where the emails, it goes and then, it's, then, it, then you know, you can get it back. You know, it's like you, you, you read it and you've, you've read it four times, five times. You've proofread your email. It's like, this is great. Hit send. The moment you hit send, up comes this pop-up window saying, well done, you idiot. You know? And you go, no, you're trying to dive into cyberspace and try and pull that email back. Well, actually, did you know Gmail have released the undo button? Seriously, this is the best sermon some of you have ever heard. Right now, this is the best advice you're ever going to get. You're welcome. There's an undo button that for 20 seconds or 30 or a minute, you can actually go back and hit undo. It hasn't gone. It's just, just been in limbo for that moment for you to realize, oops, I sent that to the wrong person. Or I cc'd in the wrong person. Or I cc'd in everybody in the world to that last email I sent. So hit undo. Marriages, businesses, problem solved. You're welcome. You're welcome. So this morning, uh, we are going to look at a character in the Bible. We're going to learn some lessons from Absalom. Absalom. Absalom was the, the son of David, uh, one of David's many sons. David had many wives, uh, kind of complicated relationships David had. And we're going to learn from Absalom, who didn't finish so well. We're going to learn some lessons from his life and hopefully apply them to ourselves. I believe that there's three lessons that we can learn from Absalom. And, uh, and from there also, we're going to parallel the learnings from how Jesus responded. Because we always look to Jesus. He is the author and the, the finisher of our faith. And so we can look to the way Jesus responded in similar situations. And we can apply that to our own lives. As you look at the book of Second Samuel, uh, it records the adult life of David. You'll see that David's family was quite dysfunctional. He had multiple wives, um, many, many kids. And uh, so it got complicated very, very quickly. There are lots of dysfunction within this family. And often we think that the decisions we make today disqualify us from, from our future. But the reality is God's grace is woven through the stories of the Bible. And we think that, you know, we've made all these mistakes and God can't forgive us. But guess what? God's more interested in our future than he is in our past. But he's asking us to do something in our today in order to move forward into our future. We can't, we can't dwell on the past, but we have to do something today to leave the past where it should be in the past. So we're going to learn from Absalom some of the decisions he made. So the difference with, with David and Absalom is David would always come back to God. David would always come back and say, God, I, I've sinned. I've, I've made the mistake. Will you, will you welcome me back? His heart was to be right with God again. Absalom, we see, didn't make things right before he lost his life. We can learn that from him. So Absalom was King David's third son. He spent most of his early years in Jerusalem. He was born to Makkah uh, with multiple wives. David had many children. And we read that over the course of time, Amnon, who was one of Absalom's brothers, fell in love with Tamar, Absalom's sister. Anyone confused? Me too. But it gets worse because that, that infatuation turns to lust, and that lust meant that Amnon ended up raping Tamar. Absolutely devastating. Absalom found out about it. 
He's, he's, he's angry. He sends Tamar to his home and says, don't tell anyone about it and uh, don't take it to heart. Not great advice to give somebody who's gone through a tragedy like that. And for two years, Absalom in his heart builds up this anger towards Amnon. So, you know, it just starts to fester. And we can learn the first thing from Absalom today, that we need to deal swiftly with anger. We need to deal swiftly with anger. Are we allowed to get angry? Is it wrong to get angry? A follower of Jesus, are we allowed to get angry? Well, actually, it says, in your anger, do not sin, Paul says. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. I love the King James Version. This says it best. Be ye angry and sin not. Be ye angry and sin not. We're allowed to be angry, but we've got to deal with that anger and process that anger quickly. Because if we allow it to fester, it will build up into something that, that may end up destroying the people that we love around us. Life comes with a painful guarantee. In this world, Jesus says, you will have troubles. Trouble is, most troubles are attached to people. The relationships we have, the ones we love the most. As, I, as I've often said, Amy gets my best and my worst. It's not fair, but that's the way it is. You know, a lot of our troubles, our, our challenges come through our relationships with other people. And so when we hurt somebody or somebody hurts us, the emotional response quite often is anger. None of us like to be wronged. We, we feel horrible when somebody's done something to us, and, and our response can often be to fire up. Sometimes we feel like we've got to defend ourselves when we've been wrongfully accused and anger rises up within us. And so our response comes out as anger. But Paul's saying here, in your anger, do not sin. Absalom's heart was churning over with this, this anger that just kept building up and building up and building up. Two years after the incident took place, he's still mulling over it. You, you, you put revenge in your heart. You know, you put a fence in your heart. Over time, it, it comes out in a horrible form. Absalom sets up this opportunity for Amnon to be murdered. Now, if Absalom had have approached Amnon straight away, it is possible that Amnon might have lost his life according to the law. But what happened in those two years is that Absalom fell out of relationship with his father, David. So that relationship went bad. Then imagine the relationship Tamar had with Absalom. Absalom said, go and hide in my house. Don't tell anyone about it. Forget like it ever happened. All she wanted was a brother that would stand up and say, I want to fight for you. So she would have just been breaking apart and falling apart over those two years. So finally Amnon's killed and, and Absalom is now separated from all the people that mattered to him. See, anger, if we let it build up, if we, if we don't do anything about it, it can devastate the people around us. And I'm saying if, if, you, if you have an issue with anger, if anger is something you struggle with and, and it's a big challenge for you, do something about it. Go and see a counselor. Get some help. Get some ministry. It's not something we can just pray away, although prayer is a part of it. This is something we have to do. We have to make decisions when it comes to our anger. 
We've got to respond in a different way. So how do we respond? Well, we've got to look to Jesus. Because Jesus, when, when he was faced with all of the same things we faced, he had a response that was very different to everybody else. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Jesus in the last week of his life? He comes into Jerusalem and, and the crowds are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Here's, here comes the king. Just a couple of days later, they're yelling, crucify. Same crowd. Crown him. Now crucify him. So so, so there's this, imagine the emotions Jesus was feeling. As he goes into the garden to pray, Judas has just betrayed him. His disciples are about to fall asleep, not stand with him. They're about to flee when when everybody comes to arrest him. And, And even Jesus, he's wrestling with the human emotions. You know, he, he, he didn't want to go through the crucifixion. Who wants to get crucified? Not me. And Jesus, his, the, the anguish in his, in his soul. This is what he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Can you imagine what he was feeling when he hung on the cross? One of the thieves yelling at him, ah, serves you right. And Jesus, with the little strength that he had, but with all of his heart, says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. When anger rises up within us, could we respond like Jesus and forgive? Even if they are at fault, can we still forgive and release them from our judgment? The hardest thing you'll ever be asked to do is to forgive someone who's wronged you. And it's very hard to do in our own strength. But if we would ask God for help, he will give us the ability to forgive. And I pray for those here that are struggling with forgiving somebody who's hurt you. That anger, which is a natural emotion to feel. I pray that God's grace would be on you. That you would be able to respond in forgiveness. Allow God to have his way. He's a just God. He'll do what he needs to do, but forgive, forgive, and allow God to work. So number one, we've got to deal swiftly with our anger. As we read on in the story, we get the impression that Absalom was probably David's favorite. Seems that he was a bit of a charmer, maybe a hit with the ladies. He's pretty, uh, thought pretty highly of himself. Uh, I think this is some of the most interesting literature in the Bible, actually. 2 Samuel 14, 25 to 26, in all Israel. There was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him, he would weigh it. And its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. Wow. Imagine being without blemish from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. Man, I'm just trying to keep some of my hair. Yeah, I'm not going to cut it away. It, but I, I think Absalom he had such a high opinion of himself. It, it seems like pride was probably a bit of a thing for him. Look at my hair. <laughs> wow. And I wonder if he grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth, the sense of entitlement. You know, I wonder if he ever served a day in his life. He would have had a whole lot of slaves, but did he have anyone? serving 
So the second thing we can learn is we need to serve others and let God promote. Let me, let me read this passage here. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. A second caution from Absalom is serve others and let God promote. Don't be in a hurry to promote your own cause. Let God do the promoting. Notice the text in verse 1. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. Got himself a little entourage, a little bodyguard squad, you know, that would run with him. Absalom, you're awesome. You know, Absalom, you're awesome t-shirts. T- t-shirts. You, know, you know, he would have been just so, you know, he had his crew around him that just spoke so highly of him. But the trouble is, by raising himself up, he actually ended up putting himself up against the king, his own father, David. He raised himself in a position of leadership where he shouldn't have. God was the one that should have been promoting him, and yet Absalom promoted himself. As he promoted himself to king, David, his father, ended up fleeing. What Absalom didn't realize is that God can quickly remove even when we promote ourselves. God has a way of uh, putting the right people in the right place at the right time. And if you're in the wrong place, God can just as easily remove you. If you try and put yourself in a place you're not supposed to be in, God can very quickly remove you from that place. I'm a fan of letting somebody promote me rather than me trying to promote myself. That's why I gladly sit under Luke Bro, our senior pastor, because I've learned the servant leadership through him. When we were working at, uh, at the Bodney campus, Amy and I were the children's pastors, and uh, we, we had you know, 300 kids to look after on a Sunday morning across all of our different programs. And um, we had youth pastors, Stephen Becks were youth pastors, Boyd and Sharon, uh, Ratnaraja were, um, were the worship pastors there. And, uh, and so on a Friday, we would get this email, cheers. Now, it wasn't celebratory drinks at the end of the day. It was cheers, which means that we've got to go move cheers. And so we would come into the auditorium. Everyone who was on site would just, just turn up and we'd start moving chairs. 700 chairs needed to be put in place because it was a kind of a multi-site operation. And so we're moving chairs throughout the week. But on Friday, we'd reassemble everything for church and for, for youth on Friday night and for church on Sunday. And guess who's there first? Every time, if he was on site, our senior pastor, Luke Bro, would be there moving chairs. Not barking orders, not leading us, but serving alongside us. Amazing. Yeah, and, and you, know, you could look at that and say, well, that's probably not a good use of his time. You know, dollar value, you know, shouldn't he be up leading and doing some important things, more important than moving chairs? He was doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. Because serving with him, putting chairs out alongside him, was Stephen Rebecca Green, who are now the Botany Campus pastors, Boyd and Sharon Ratnaraja, who are pastoring the, the South Manurewa campus, Lockie McNeil, who's now the pastor of Taupo Elam, uh, Richard Batchelor and Maria Batchelor, who are, who are the, the pastors down in Nelson. Amy and I were a part of that team. And so we were learning what it means to lead by serving. Even Boyd would often say, I'm the chairperson of Elam. You know, moving the chairs. How prophetic is that statement? Because he's now our national leader. How incredible is that? 
You know, when you serve, Jesus says, I, I didn't come to be served. I, I've, I've come to serve. And that's the difference. Jesus came with the attitude is, I'm going to serve. I'll let someone else promote me. And I, I love this passage. And, you know, the, the thought is, if I'm too big to serve, maybe I'm not, I'm not fit to lead. If I'm too big to serve, I'm not fit to lead. But I love Christ's example. So Absalom set a bad example, but Christ set a great example. And this is Philippians 2, 3 to 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What is that mindset? What does that exactly look like or sound like? who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, there wasn't an entitlement in Jesus' thinking. I'm entitled to this because I am who I am. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the amazing part of this passage. In humbling himself, even to the point of death on a cross, this is what God did. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's some good news there. We could probably celebrate that and praise that. Because you know what? His attitude was, I'm going to lower myself. I'm not going to receive any entitlement here. I am going to trust God. Therefore, God raised him up. Let's not promote ourselves. Let's not promote our own thing. Let's let God do it. Sometimes God allows us to be in a position for a period of time because our character is not right. We heard that recently. God sometimes hides us for a season. Until we're ready because it's hot in the spotlight. We, 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 you know, we're, we're wanting that promotion. We're wanting that job. We're wanting that raise. We're wanting that, that next step, that next level. And God's saying, I've still got some character I'm working on in you. Be faithful there and you watch me. God can do more in a moment than he can and in, in, in ten, in, than we can do in 10 years. God can do something just like that. When you don't think you're ready, he'll go, now you're ready. That was us at 30, your pastors. Mm -mm. But we felt the anointing of God come upon us. We didn't go chasing it. We found ourselves in that role. You know, I'm not interested in somebody that brings me their CV and says, this is how amazing I am. I'm interested in the person that goes, hey, can I help you move some chairs? Like, I think we can work together. That's my heart. I love the fact that Jesus had every right to be served, but he didn't choose to be served he served anyway i love the fact that we have our dream team i love our dream team any dream team was in the house you guys that serve week in week out in our programs throughout the week at youth and on friday nights and here on a sunday i love the heart in this place this is one of the greatest churches i've ever been a part of the heart to serve is incredible i just want to honor you thank you for setting Christ's example. You are being Christ's example in the way that you serve. The amount of people that come into this place say, I just felt so welcome. 
Yeah, it's, it's not about the preaching. It's not about the worship. Most of the time, it's about, I just felt like this was home. Because people like you have loved on them and served them, got alongside them. It's such an amazing ministry we have here at the church. As the team karma, our, our last caution from Absalom this morning is that we need to listen to the right voices. Listen to the right voices. See, I, Absalom's problem was that his growing confidence wasn't from God's wisdom and strength coming upon him. It was from the voices that he was listening to and what he was speaking about himself. We carry on in the passage where, where Absalom would sit at the gates. It says, then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case would come to me and I would see that they receive justice. If I was king, if I was in charge, I'd make sure everything works out for your good. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. So he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Absalom had a habit of positioning himself in the right places to hear the wrong voices. Absalom liked it when people said, oh, <laughs> if you were king, if you were king, if you are in charge, things would be so much better. I heard it, heard it once said that a, as a pastor, 10% of the congregation love you and think you can't do anything wrong. 10% of the, the congregation don't really like you and don't think you can do anything right. And you're best not to listen to either of those two groups of people because one will puff you up and the other one will just discourage you. You know, I think we've got we to gotta listen to the right voices. There's voices. We've got a lot of voices speaking to our world. Lots of opinions on who we are. In your business, in your home, in your school. What are the voices that we're listening to? Are we listening to the right voices? Because we can listen to voices that will influence us, good or bad. The question is, which ones are we listening to? I love uh, Pastor Mike Griffiths. He's the the, the lead pastor in our city campus. And he says, there's two, there's two lists of people in my life. One's a whole lot shorter than the other. The first list is filled with people whose opinion matter to me. They love me dearly. They're not afraid to, to, to criticize or critique or, or challenge me in any area of my life. And I receive that criticism and that challenge because I know they want me to be a better person and be a, a better influence in my world around me. And then he said, and then there's another list filled with a whole lot of other people. And I listen respectfully to that list and those people. But these are the voices I listen to the most. Uh, Mike's on my list of people that I listen to. Uh, and he is one of the few people that can tell me off. And I feel like he's given me a hug. I remember early on we were here and... Um, I was, I was given the responsibility of preparing a sermon series and do the research and the background behind it. And he came to me just, just before the series started and he, uh, he said, Mike, you're a, you're a great person, great leader. I'm going, uh-oh, uh-oh. Here comes the CRC. Compliment, recommend, compliment. So he complimented me on my leadership and on my, 
And then he recommended the heck out of me. And he said, you didn't serve us well. He said, you didn't prepare like you should have. So I think you let the team down, Mike. You need to do better. Mm. Guess what? That hasn't happened since. I thanked him. But hurt. Ah. But you know what the cool thing is? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's what the proverb said. You know, sometimes we've got this festering wound. Sometimes we've got this thing that needs to be dealt with. Leave it for a while. It'll be fine, right? No, you'll have to amputate it. Sometimes you've got to do surgery on something that is wrong, something that's, that, that's septic. And sometimes we need people to speak into our lives and give us a true, accurate reading of what's happening. Because we've written our own report, but there's, a, there's another report that's actually true. Let's allow those people to speak into our world. Allow them to have some voice into ours. Faithful of the wounds of a friend, but deceitful of the kisses of an enemy. Beware of the person that comes and says, you're amazing. You're so amazing. Don't listen too hard to that. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it hurts and a flattering mouth works ruin. Absalom allowed the praises of people to fill his heart. You know, he started to believe the reports about himself. If only I were king. Can I, can I issue a caution? If you ever find yourself in a place in your, in your business, in your school, in your relationships, where someone comes to you and says, oh, if only you were in charge. If only you were the boss. If only you were making the decision, oh, things would be so much better. Do not let that get inside you. Run away from that as quickly as you can. Because that can take root. And we can find ourselves listening to the wrong voices and we can start to build ourselves a platform that is not ours to be on. Let's trust God that he's going to promote us at the right time. Bible's clear about pride. We have to humble ourselves. Humbling ourselves is our decision, our action. If we don't, God will. I'm going to choose to humble myself first. So let's look again to Jesus' example. Jesus had plenty of voices speaking into his world. Plenty of those that wanted to praise him. Let's crown him. Crown him with many crowns. Here comes the king. Now let's crucify him. People that hated him. People that loved him. People that wanted to align themselves with Jesus. Get alongside him and say, will you agree with my position? What does the Bible say about this? Can you agree with me? But Jesus he listened to the right voices and the most important voice. I've talked about people in our lives, but there's one voice that matters above every other voice. That's the voice of our God. A heavenly father wants to speak into our lives daily. Jesus, with all of this happening around him, all these voices, this was his common practice. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. His mission simply to hear the voice of his father. That's all he wanted to do every day. Get alone with God. What's happening today, God? What's happening today, Dad? Who am I going to meet? What do you need me to do? Where do you want me to be? I'm ready, ready to serve. I love what he says in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We can have all the right language. We can say all the right things. We can even sing all the right songs. We can even turn up at church. 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's what we've got to do. We've got to hear God's voice and then walk that out. So what can we learn from Absalom's life? What can we learn about our relationship with God? We can follow Christ's example in these three areas. Deal swiftly with anger. Don't let your sun go down on your anger. Serve others and let God promote. Don't push or try and build your own platform. Let God do that. And then listen to the right voices. Maybe there's some voices that you've been listening to that you need to remove from that list. Actually, you've got to change the list and say, actually, I'm going to listen to some other people in my life because those voices have been toxic. These voices have been causing me to, to, to build anger and offense. Oh, you should feel angry about that relationship with that person. Don't listen to those voices. You've got to stop listening to those ones. Listen to some new ones. It says, actually, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to release. I'm going to let go. This morning, if you're struggling in any of these areas, God's grace is here for all of us. We've all failed in this. We've all got this wrong. But God says today, here, right now, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. So whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever you're wrestling with, guess what? It doesn't surprise God. And he's just waiting for you to say, God, here it is. Here's my life. Maybe fresh again today. I'm going to need your help to address this issue in my life. We've got a team that would love to pray with you at the end of the service. Maybe you do need to see a counselor. Maybe you need to take a step there. Deal with something in your life that's, that's completely out of order. Let's trust that God's going to do a great work in our lives as we heed the cautions from Absalom's life. But as we close this morning, I love the passage that says, for the passion set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What was that passion? My friends, that passion was you and me, us. He looked past the cross because he saw beyond the cross was freedom for people that wanted to be in relationship with God. There was no way that the people could be right with God until the cross took place. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for my sin, for your sin, for our sin. Once and for all, we don't go and crucify Christ again. He's done it for all of us. All that needs to take place is an exchange. An exchange where we receive his gift of grace and we say, God, here's my sin. Here's my mess. I ask you to forgive me. Make me clean. Make me whole. And today I want to pray a prayer and invite anybody that's, that's saying, you know what, I've, I've been away from God and I want to be close to Him. I, I, I want to find out, I want to discover what a relationship with Him might look like. Maybe for the very first time you're going to pray this prayer, asking God to forgive you. Maybe you've been away from God and God's saying, I want you to come home, my son, my daughter. All's forgiven if you will simply respond this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray a prayer and invite you to pray that prayer with me. We're all going to pray it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love for me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Jesus, please forgive me. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness. I want to follow you. Thank you for your gift of grace. In Jesus' name. 
every head bowed, eye closed. Amy's going to come up in a moment to close our service, but I just wonder if you pray that prayer. We want to connect with you. We want to help you on the journey of, of, of what it means to take the next step with Jesus. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's something uh, you need to do. But we want to find out who you are. If you pray that prayer for the first time, we want to connect with you. So with everybody here today, will you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I pray that prayer for the first time. Maybe you're coming back to God again. Is there anyone here this morning saying, yes, committing my life to Christ. First time, maybe coming back to God. I'm going to hand you back to Amy now.